Welcome to this podcast from Rolling Roads Baptist Church of Greensboro, North Carolina. You're invited to join with us as we are growing towards Christ. The following is a message from a recent Sunday morning worship service. This week's Bible study podcast continues again with Mr. Blackaby, Richard Blackaby, session number two for the week of January 29th. Does it bring conviction? Oh boy. When has it been difficult for you to admit you've made a mistake? Does it bring conviction? Remember, these are questions that we're asking ourselves about hearing God's Word. How to discern the voice of God. How to discern the voice of God. This is part two, session two. Does it bring conviction? And of course, the main point uh, edited by me is the voice of God convicts us of the truth the voice of God convicts us of the truth. So conviction can be not just of sin, but of truth and the truth about sin. Now that's what Blackaby begins talking about. Our focal passage is Acts chapter 2. And he talks about spending four hours with a man, urging him not to commit adultery with a married woman. The man tried to assure me that he and the other woman had prayed about their relationship. And they believed that God had granted them a love for one another and was releasing them from their marriage vows. Don't think I've heard that one before. He reasoned that God would not give them this love unless he intended for them to be together. So, obviously there's a little bit of a problem there because of it being a violation of God's commands in Scripture. And Blackaby insightfully points out this sentence, the Holy Spirit was obviously convicting the man that he was talking to, for he went to great lengths to justify his sinful behavior. Think about that. He went to great lengths to justify his sinful behavior. And he says only later after consequences of sin, you know, consequences of all of it, carnage he calls it, did the man acknowledge God's conviction? God had warned him of what he was doing, but he had refused to listen. Wow, what an example. So a primary way God speaks is by convicting us of our sin. He loves us too much to allow us to rush headlong into sin without calling us to repent and return to him. So that should be a big encouragement to sinners in the hands of an angry God, that God won't leave us there. He calls us to repent, and he gives us hope and an assurance of a way out of the penalty of sin. So our first verses are Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 36. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
This is part of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Blackaby writes that people needlessly get bogged down trying to figure out what God's will is for every little mundane situation. Oh Lord, should we buy this house or that house? Should we use this loan or that loan? Should we wait three weeks to see if the interest rates will go up? Obviously, I'm thinking like a realtor now, but God generally speaks to us about his concerns and priorities. He speaks so that we will know what is on his heart, inviting us to join him in his work. There's experiencing God again. It's about God's concerns. It's about God's priorities. That's what God's word is about. People these days think too often that God's word is all about them all the time. You know? But that's what God's primary concern is over making you happy. Well, God's primary concern for people is that they be in a right relationship with him. And then Blackenby offers the plan of salvation at the front cover of the book. What are you afraid of? If you've ever read this in our quarterlies, it obviously is asking people to be saved, acknowledging that you are a sinner, turn from your sin, and place your faith in Christ. So, this sermon in Acts chapter 2 from Peter is uh, with after the Holy Spirit coming upon the 120 followers of Jesus in the upper room. 120 followers. So, Peter preaches to a multitude of people. Could have been from 55 to 180,000 people in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Pentecost. God often speaks through the preaching of his word. And so here, Peter's preaching about the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. Too often we think about the just the ascension. But we need to think about the purpose and the theology of the ascension. It's the exaltation of of Jesus. I know I need to do that better. The gospel hinges on Jesus being raised from the dead, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And this is Peter's talking from personal experience. Uh, he saw Jesus, he knew Jesus, and Peter is declaring that God has sent the Holy Spirit, and that is obvious to everyone. Verse 33. Because of all the things that had happened in Acts chapter 2 up until that point. The sound of a rushing mighty wind and people hearing the word of the magnificent works of God in our own tongues. A clear sign that if someone speaks a word that was given to them from God is that the Holy Spirit affirms the message. So Peter goes to Psalm 110.1 there in verse 34, quoting it. A favorite passage of the early church indicated that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord and Savior of all who place their trust in him. And this is encouragement because though the church might suffer at the hands of its enemies for a time, God the Father will defeat every foe and place them in submission to Christ. So Peter reached the climax of his sermon in verse 36. This is the main point of this part. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord 
and Messiah. So this is hammering home the truth, the point of what had happened to Jesus at the hands of the Jews. And it must be horrible for them to hear this word. A telling sign that a word comes from God is the centrality of Jesus Christ, especially his death and resurrection. We need to be sure that in our preaching we are offering Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and his, his humility and his exaltation at the center of our messages, at the center of our thinking about preaching. And Blackaby points out other things that people have preached on, false messages. And he, he points out again insightfully that false messengers tend to focus on secondary or non-essential matters. But when God speaks, he lifts up Christ and his work, page 112. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin also. And Peter's telling them, a bunch of stuff that convicts them here in these verses, isn't he? And Blackaby says, God's going to tell you the truth and that God knows what matters most in your life and he will speak to those issues. It is the Holy Spirit's role to reveal and apply God's truth to your life. John 16, verses 13 through 14. So remember our main point, the voice of God convicts us of the truth and convicts us of sin. So that's how we can discern whether what we're hearing is God's word or not. Verses 37 and 38. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. They asked, what should we do? This reminds me of what happened when John the Baptist preached or when Jesus preached. Remember the different groups that asked John the Baptist, what should we do after he said, do things to prove you have repented? God's word always calls for a response. You cannot remain neutral. You can't stay on the fence. You can obey it or disobey it, Blackaby says but you cannot remain neutral. And the people were pierced to the heart. Look at the bottom of page 112. He said, this indicates a deep emotional pain as the Jewish people realized to their horror that after waiting for centuries for their Messiah, they had crucified him. Well, Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's what's happening here. And that's what happens to us as we are affected by the fall. And we are not, we are without hope if it's not for God's gracious work to convict us of our sin. And God, the Holy Spirit took Peter's words and Blackaby writes, applied them compellingly to the people's hearts. The people were compelled by the truth about their sin. And the Holy Spirit's doing that work. The Holy Spirit is the one that speaks to people. It's not just persuasion or rhetorical flash or some emotional appeal. 
in order for there to be a true effect, a true life change, as we like to say, it has to be from the Holy Spirit. And so people exclaimed, what should we do? And the idea was here that Peter gives them hope. Hope comes. Repentance comes. Repent and be baptized for forgiveness. And then you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit, he tells them. Doesn't matter that they, you know, killed Jesus, crucified him in that way, that God can still forgive them. It's part of God's plan to forgive them. Satan will try to make you feel guilty about sin and will not offer any solutions to find freedom from that guilt. God, on the other hand, will convict you of sin but offer a remedy. A remedy. So would you rather have guilt and shame that this world offers? Because we, we're going to feel guilty. Or would we rather have repentance and life as we give our sins to Christ? And then he told, tells them to be baptized. And Blackaby talks a lot about in here about what baptism means. And it's a short little lesson there about baptism and the right thinking about baptism. And he says those who repented received two things, the forgiveness of their sins and the Holy Spirit. Christians often talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but neglect the fact that the Holy Spirit himself is the ultimate gift. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, you have every resource of God at your disposal to enable you to do God's will. So the voice of God convicts us of sin. And don't we want forgiveness? Don't people want forgiveness today? Verses 39 through 41. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Wow. And with many other words, he, Peter, testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So as Peter concluded his sermon, he offered hope and encouragement to his listeners. So once again, how do we discern the word of God? This is a distinguishing mark of a word from God. Satan will seek to discourage you and lead you to a place of hopelessness. But God desires to save you from your sin and to give you eternal life. God's word brings hope for better days ahead. And so these are encouraging words about God's promise, that God is going to fulfill his promises. And Peter emphasizes God's promise of salvation to the generations to come, to all people who would repent. This is a fulfillment of God's promise through the prophet Joel. And Isaiah 57, 19 is mentioned. People who are far away will be saved. And so Peter offers hope that the people could repent of their sin, that they, they and their children could experience salvation. This is good news indeed. I think today some in the world, a lot of people just kind of just think that's old-timey or it doesn't apply to today or, you know, I can't click on Jesus so he must not be real. 
Peter is urging people to not fall for that. Peter is urging the people to be saved from this corrupt generation. Being saved is the fundamental need of every person. Don't forget that, people. Being saved is the fundamental need of every person. Think about being saved from drowning, from a dangerous situation, from a medical emergency. Any of you who have been in that situation, Blackaby writes, knows the enormous relief that comes when you have been preserved from harm or death. So Peter understood what he was facing and what they were facing, the peril of living in sin. Remember, he's the one that was sinking in the waves and asked for Jesus to reach out his hand and pull him out of peril. And what happened so? The voice of God convicted these people of the truth that day in Acts 2. And the result was that 3,000 people accepted the message and were baptized. Now listen to this. I'm on page 116. Jesus had foretold that his disciples would do greater things than he had done. John 14, 12. In one sermon, Peter saw more people find salvation and enter the kingdom of God than occurred during Jesus' earthly ministry. This reflects the impact found in a word from God that is delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to edit this sentence. This is the impact found in a word from God that is delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. So our focus in this study is to discern the voice of God. Last week's session reminded us to ensure, spelled just like the drink, <laughs> reminded us to ensure that what we're hearing is in line with God's Word. I don't get it. But let's consider also what the voice is calling us to. So here's the question. Is there a conviction of sin or is it leading me to a place of hopelessness? Question mark. Am I being pointed to Christ and to his mercy and grace? When God speaks, he always speaks words of truth and grace to bring us ever closer to him. So, again, the main point. The voice of God convicts us of the truth about sin and the truth about our life and the truth about the hope of salvation through Christ. Well, so does it bring conviction? If it's God's Word, it does. If it's God's Word, it brings conviction. It agrees with the Bible. So there's question number two of our study. I think we have six questions. This is a really good study, and it's worth going back over and looking at. And I didn't want to minimize the part about baptism. They actually have a box, which I can't find. There it is. An article on baptism, page 118 to 121, which is coming up after the lesson. Baptism in the Early Church by Rex D. Butler. And that's a quite a sharp photo there. Good gracious. Caught just at the moment of the parting of the waters. So anyway, I hope this podcast has been a blessing to you. 
Lord willing, I'll see you soon in person at the Rolling Roads Baptist Church. Thank you for listening. Rolling Roads Baptist Church is located at 2800 Van Story Street in Greensboro, North Carolina, near Four Seasons Town Center and Smith High School. You're invited to join with us this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. as we are Growing Towards Christ. Find us on Facebook and at rollingroads.org.